Section two of a brief history of forestry by Bernard Fernau. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Forest of the Ancients. Waldgeschichte des Altertums by August Siedensticker, eighteen eighty six, in two volumes, page eight sixty three, is a most painstaking compilation from original sources of notes regarding the forest conditions and the knowledge of trees, forests, and forestry among the ancients contains also a full bibliography. Die Waldwirtschaft der Römer by J. Trurich collects the knowledge especially of arboriculture and silviculture possessed by the Romans. Forstwissenschaftliche Leistungen der Altgriechen by Dr. Chloros in Forstwissenschaftliches Centralblatt, 1885, pages 8. Archaeologia Forestale dell'Antica Storia e Jurisprudenza Forestale in Italia by a de berenge eighteen fifty nine the forest was undoubtedly the earliest home of mankind its edible products forming its principal value its wild animals developed the hunter the chase first furnishing means of subsistence and then exhilaration and pleasure next it was the mast and in its openings the pasture which gave to the forest its value for the herder and only last with the development into settled communities and more highly civilized conditions of life, did the wood product become its main contribution toward that civilization. Finally, in the refinement of cultural conditions in densely settled countries is added its influence on soil, climate, and water conditions. Although there is no written history, there is little doubt that these were the phases of an appreciation of woodlands in the earliest development of mankind, for we find the same phases repeated in our own times in all newly settled countries. As agriculture develops, the need for farming ground overshadows the usefulness of the forest in all these directions, and it is cleared away. Moreover, as population remains scanty, a wasteful use of its stores forms the rule, until necessity arises for greater care in the exploitation for more rational distribution of farm and forest area, and finally, for intentional reproduction of wood as a useful crop. Correspondingly, forest conditions change from the densely forested hills and mountain slopes during the age of the nomad and hunter to the enclaves or patches of field and pasture enclosed by the forest of the first farmers. Then follows the opening up of the valleys and lowlands, while the hill and mountain farms may return to forest, and finally, with the increase of population and civilization in valleys and plains, a reduction of the forest area and a decrease of forest wealth results. 1. Forest Conditions While we have many isolated references to forest conditions and progress of forest exploitation among the ancients in the writings of poets and historians, these are generally too brief to permit us to gain a very clear picture of the progress of forest history. Except in isolated cases, they furnish only glimpses, allowing us to fill in the rest to some extent by guess. That the countries occupied and known to the ancients, even Spain and Palestine, were originally well-wooded, there seems little doubt, although in the drier regions and on the drier limestone soils, the forest was perhaps open, as is usual under such conditions, and truly arid, 
forestless regions were also found where they exist now. Although it has been customary to point out some of the Mediterranean and eastern countries as having become deserts and depopulated through deforestation, and although this is undoubtedly true for some parts, as Mount Lebanon and Syria, generalization in this respect is dangerous. We know, however, that by the eleventh century before Christ, in Palestine, Asia Minor, and Greece, especially in the neighborhood of thriving cities, the forest cover had vanished to a large extent, and building timber for the temples at Tyre and Sidon had to be brought long distances from Mount Lebanon, whose wealth of cedar was also freely drawn upon for ship timber and other structures. Although about 465 B.C., Artaxerxes I, having recognized the pending exhaustion of this mountain forest, had attempted to regulate the cutting of timber. The exploitation had, by 333 B.C., progressed to such an extent that Alexander the Great found at least the south slope exhausted and almost woodless. The destruction by axe and fire of the celebrated forests of Sharon, Carmel, and Bashan is the theme of the prophet Isaiah writing about 590 B.C., and the widespread devastation of large forest areas during the Jewish wars is depicted by Josephus. In Greece, the Persian wars are on record as causes of widespread forest destruction, yet in other parts, as on the island of Cyprus, which originally densely wooded, had rapidly lost its forest wealth during Cleopatra's time through the development of mining and metallurgical works shipbuilding and clearing for farms, the kings seem to have been able to protect the remnants for a long time, so that respectable forest cover exists even to date. The Romans seem to have had still a surplus of ship timber at their command in the third and second centuries before Christ, when they did not hesitate to burn the warships of the Carthaginians in 203 BC and of the Syrians in 189 BC although it may be that other considerations forced these actions. Denuded hills and scarcity of building timber in certain parts are mentioned at the end of the third century before Christ, and that the need for conservative use of timber resources had arrived also appears from the fact that when, in 167 BC, the Romans had brought Macedonia under their sway, the cutting of ship timber in the extensive forests of that country was prohibited. Although at that time the Roman state forests were still quite extensive, it is evident that under the system of renting these for the mast and pasture and for the exploitation of their timbered companies of contractors, their devastation must have progressed rapidly. Yet, on the whole, with local exceptions, Italy remained well wooded until the Christian era. In Spain, according to Diodorus Siculus, about 100 B.C., the southern provinces were densely wooded when about 200 B.C. the Romans first took possession. But soon after, a great forest fire starting from the Pyrenees ran over the country, exposing deposits of silver ore, which invited a large influx of miners, the cause of reckless deforestation of the country. The interior of this peninsula, however, was probably always forestless or at least scantily wooded while through colonization, exploitation, fire, and other abuse, the useful forest area was decimated in many parts, 
the location of the Mediterranean peninsular countries was such that wood supplies could be readily secured by water from distant parts, and the Lignarii, or wood merchants of Italy, drew their supplies even from India by way of Alexandria. They went for ash to Asia Minor, for cedar to Cilicia. Paphlagonia, Liguria, and Mauritania became the great wood export countries. It is interesting to note that a regular wood market existed in Rome, as in Jerusalem, and at the former place firewood was sold by the pound, 75 cents per 200 pounds in Cicero's time. At the same time that the causes of devastation were at work, the forest area also increased in some parts, recovering ground lost during wars and through the neglect of farms by natural seeding, much less by active effort. Although planting of trees in parks, vineyards, and groves was early practiced to a limited extent. 2. Development of Property As to development of forest property, we have also only fragmentary information. Nomads do not know soil as property. When they became settled farmers, the plowland, the vineyard, or olive grove, and orchard are recognized as private property but all the rest remains common property, or nobody's in particular, and even the private property was not at first entirely exclusive. Hence, for a long time, and in some parts even to date, the exclusive property right in forests is not fully established. At least the right to hunt over all territory without restriction was possessed by everybody, although an owner might prevent undesirable hunters from entering his property if it was enclosed. The setting aside of hunting grounds for private use came into existence only in later Roman times, but woodland parks, planted or otherwise, like the paradises of the Persian kings and the nemora of the Romans and Carthaginians, were early a part of the private property of princes and grandees from which others were excluded. Forests formed a barrier and defense against outsiders, or a hiding place in case of need, hence we find in early times frontier forests, or as the Germans called them, Grenzmachen. Set aside or designated for such purposes and withdrawn from use, and sometimes additionally fortified by ditches and other artificial barriers. Even before the Grenzmachen, of the Germans, the forest was used by the Greeks, Romans, and still earlier among Asiatic tribes, to designate the limit of peoples, as well as to serve as a bulwark against attacks from invaders. Again, the pantheistic ideas of the ancients led to consecrating not only trees, but groves to certain gods. Holy groves were frequent among the Greeks and Romans, and also among other pagans, the Jews, however, were enjoined to eradicate these emblems of paganism in the Promised Land with axe and fire, and they did so more or less, removal and re-establishment of holy groves varying according to the religious sentiment of their rulers. Altogether in Palestine the forests were left to the free and unrestricted use of the Israelites. Out of religious conceptions and priestly shrewdness, arose church property in farms and forests among the Indian Brahmins, the Ethiopians and Egyptians, as also among Greeks and Romans. It appears that the Oriental kings were exclusive owners of all unappropriated or public forests. 
This was certainly the case with the princes of India and of Persia, and such ownership can be proved definitely in many other parts as in the case of the forests of Lebanon, of Cyprus, and of various forest areas in Asia Minor. That in the Greek republics the forests were mainly public property seems to be likely, for Attica at least, this is true without doubt. While the first Roman kings seem to have owned royal domains, which were distributed among the people after the expulsion of the kings, the public property which came to the republic as a result of conquest was in most cases at once transferred to private hands, either for homesteads of colonists or in recognition of services of soldiers and other public officers, or to mollify the conquered, or by sale or for rent, not to mention the rights acquired by squatters. The rents were usually farmed out to collectors, publicani, or to corporations formed of these. Livy, however, mentions also state forests in which the cutting was regulated, probably by merely reserving the ship timber that occasionally single cities and other smaller municipal units owned forest properties in common seems also established private forest properties connected with farm estates existed in ethiopia in arabia among the greeks and among the romans at home as well as in their colonies especially pasture woods saltus connected with small and large estates latifundia into which probably most forest areas near settlements were turned, are frequently mentioned as in private ownership, but also other private forests existed. The institution of servitudes, or rights of user, usus and usus fructus, and a considerable amount of law regarding the conditions under which they were exercised, and regarding their extinguishment, were in existence among the Romans in the first centuries of the Christian era. 3. Forest Use Restrictions in the use of woods were not entirely absent, but with the exception of reserving ship timber in the state forests, they refer only to special classes of forest. In the frontier forests reserved for defensive purposes, timber cutting was forbidden, and in the holy groves set aside by private or public declaration no wood could be cut thereafter being in the latter case considered nobody's property but sanctified and dedicated to religious use res sacra and whoever removed any wood from them was considered a patricide except the cutting be done for purposes of improvement thinnings and after a prescribed sacrifice with the extension of Christendom, the holy trees and groves became the property of the emperors, who sometimes substituted Christian holiness for the pagan, and retained the restrictions which had preserved them. Thus, the cutting and selling of Cyprus and other trees in the holy grove near Antioch, and of Persea trees in Egypt, generally which had been deemed holy under the pharaohs, was prohibited under penalty of five pounds gold, unless a special permit had been obtained. In Attica, as well as in Rome, the theory that the state cannot satisfactorily carry on any business was well established. Hence, the state forests were rented out under a system of time rent, or a perpetual license. The renters, after exploiting the timber, usually subletting the culled woods merely for the pasture, except where coppice could be profitably utilized. 
the officials with titles referring to their connection with the woods, as with the Roman Saltuarii or the Greek Hyloroi, forest guards, and Vilici Silvarum, the overseers, both grades taken from the slaves had hardly even police functions. Forest management proper, in other words, regulated use for continuity, except in coppice, seems nowhere to have been practiced by the ancients, although arboriculture in artificial plantations was well established, and occasionally even attempts at replacement in forest fashion seem to have been made deliberately. Not only were many arboricultural practices of today well known to them, but also a number of the still unsettled controversies in this field were then already subjects of discussion. The culling system of taking only the most desirable kinds, trees, and cuts, which until recently has characterized our American lumbering methods, was naturally the one under which the mixed forest was utilized. Fire used in the pasture woods for the same purposes as with us effectively prevented reproduction in these and destroyed gradually the remnants of old trees. Only where, for park and hunting purposes, some care was bestowed upon the woodland, was reproduction purposefully attempted as, for instance, when in a hunting park an underwood was to be established for game cover. The treatment of the coppice and methods of sowing and planting were well understood, in spite of the lack of natural sciences. Whatever forestry practice existed was based merely on empirical observations, and was taught in the books on agriculture as part of farm practice. Silviculture was mainly developed in connection with the coppice, which was systematically practiced for the purpose of growing vineyard stakes, especially with chestnut, castanetum, oak, quercetum, and willow, salicetum, while the arbustum denoted the plantings of trees for the support of grapes, and incidentally for the foliage used as cattle feed, still in vogue in modern Italy. This planting of vine supports was done with saplings of elm, poplar, and some other species, by pollarding and by a well-devised system of pruning. These were gradually prepared and maintained in proper form for their purpose. The coppice seems to have been systematically managed in Attica, as well as in Italy in regular fellings the mild climate producing sprouts and root-suckers readily without requiring much care, even conifers, cypress and fir, reproducing in this manner. The oak coppice was managed in seven-year rotation, the chestnut in five-year, and the willow in three-year rotation. Yield and profitableness were discussed, and the practice of thinnings is known, but only for the purpose of removing and using the dead material. Forest protection was poorly developed, of insects little, of fungi no knowledge existed, hand-picking was applied against caterpillars, also ditches into which the beetles were driven and then covered, the use of hogs in fighting insects was also known. That goats were undesirable in the woods had been observed, some remarkable precocious physiological knowledge or rather philosophy existed. It was recognized that frost produces drought, and that a remedy is to loosen the soil, aerating the roots, to drain or water as the case might require, and to prune, but also sapletting was prescribed. Against hail, dead owls were to be hung up, against ants, which were deemed injurious, 
ashes with vinegar were to be applied or else an ass's heart curiosities in wood technology were rife and many contradictions among the wood sharps existed as in our times only four elements earth water fire air composed all bodies the more fire in the composition of a wood the more readily it would decay spruce being composed of less earth and water but more fire and air is therefore lighter than oak which mostly composed of earth is therefore so durable but the latter warps and develops seasons splits because on account of its density it cannot take up readily and resists the penetration of moisture wood impregnation supposed to be a modern invention was already practiced cedrium cedar oil being used as well as a tar coating or immersion in seawater for one year to secure greater durability four literature as regards literature we find in greece besides what can be learned incidentally from the historians herodotus and xenophon and from the natural history of aristotle the first work on plant history and wood technology if not forestry in eighteen volumes by theophrastus three hundred and ninety to two eighty six b c a pupil of aristotle and plato among the romans besides a number of historians at least three writers before christ discussed in detail agriculture and in connection with it tree culture namely cato two thirty four to one forty nine b c who wrote an excellent work de re rustica in one hundred and sixty two chapters varro 116 to 26 bc also de re rustica in three books and virgilius maro 70 to 19 bc who in his georgica records in six books the state of knowledge at that time of the many writers on these subjects who came in the christian era there are also three to be mentioned namely cassius plinius major 2379 a.d who in his historia naturalis in 37 books discusses also the technique of silviculture lucius junius moderatus columella about fifty a d with twelve books de re rustica and one book de arboribus the former being the best work of the ancients on the subject and palladius writing about three hundred and fifty a d thirteen books de re rustica which in the original and in translations was read until past the middle ages only a few references which exhibit the state of knowledge on arboricultural subjects among the romans as shown in this literature may be cited some of which knowledge was also developed in greece and found application more or less throughout the roman empire from india to spain nursery practice was already well known to cato while varro knew besides sowing and planting the art of grafting and layering and columella discusses in addition pruning and pollarding which latter was practiced for securing fuel wood and the propriety of leaving the pruned trees two years to recuperate before applying the knife again the method of wintering acorns and chestnuts in sand working them over every thirty days and separating the poor seed by floating in water was known to columella and indeed he discusses nursery management with minute detail even the advantages of transplants and of doubly transplanted material the question whether to plant or to sow 
the preference of fall or spring planting with distinction for different species and localities are matters under his consideration and preference of sowing oak and chestnut instead of transplanting is pointed out and supported by good reasons pliny the humboldt of the ancients recognizes tolerance of different species the need of different treatment for different species the desirability of transplanting to soil and climatic conditions similar to those to which the tree was accustomed and of placing the trees as they stood with reference to the sun but to be sure he also has many curious notions as for instance his counsel to set shallow rooted trees deeper than they stood before his advice not to plant during rain or windy weather and his laying much stress on the phases of the moon as influencing results while then the ancients were not entirely without silvicultural knowledge indeed possessed much more than is usually credited to them the need of a forest policy and of a systematic forest management in the modern sense had not arisen in their time the mild climate reducing the necessity of fuel wood and the accessibility by water to sources of supply for naval and other construction delaying the need for forest production at home there is little doubt that some of the agricultural and silvicultural knowledge and practice of the romans found entrance among the german tribes who especially the alemanni came into contact with the romans in their civilized surroundings during the fourth century End of section two Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia.